Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio, where each week we talk to a musician, artist, author, or other creative Mississippian promoting the arts across the state. I'm your host, Melody Moody Thordis, Arts-Based Community Development Director with the Mississippi Arts Commission. And today in the studio, I'm speaking with architect Chris Myers and museum director Rachel Myers. Welcome to the studio. Hey, Mel. Hey, Hi. Mel. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you guys for coming in today. Thanks so, for inviting us. Of course. Um, so I want to talk to you guys a little bit about your passion for Mississippi and what you do in, you know, have done in different communities and get into kind of some topics about different things that you're interested in. But first, I just want to start at the beginning. So it's a very good place to start. Absolutely. So I know you guys, you know, grew up in different places. So Chris, I'll start with you. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the Mississippi Delta, uh, somewhere between Batesville and Marks. And Rachel? <laughs> um, I'm not from around here. I'm originally from Connecticut, but as I tell people, I've been living in Jackson for over 10 years, so they don't claim me in the North anymore. Oh, okay. So what specifically brought you to Mississippi? I took a job. Um, I graduated in 2008 when everything was crashing down, but Mississippi was hiring. And so I came here to work for the Institute of Southern Jewish Life uh, for a two-year fellowship and then ended up um, staying um, on with that organization um, for the next years after that. So Chris, when you moved from the Batesville area to Jackson, um, was that after architecture school or how? what brought you to Jackson? Well, it was via Starkville, Mississippi. Um, I went to Starkville to Mississippi State to go to architecture school, and the fifth year of the architecture school program is here in Jackson, downtown. So that brought me here, and I never left. And since we do have a married couple in the studio today, I have Romantic. to ask, how did you guys meet? Do you want me to tell the story? You should tell the story. <laughs> um, I thought he was handsome. Uh, I was a young thing, and we were at a place called, at the time called One to One Studios in Midtown Jackson, and we were there for a concert. Uh, and I saw him to my left, and I thought that he was beardable. He had a really great facial hair, and I thought that he was handsome. And uh, I went over to talk to him, and, and really that was it. This was just about the time of you know, Facebook messaging and all those things. So we had a, a brief online romance and then began dating. Great. So at a Jackson performance, of course, that's where you met. That's awesome. And then mm -hmm. you continued to share that share that passion for Jackson <clears throat> music. And I know I've seen you at many shows <laughs> over the years. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we always think of that place as a very special place for for our early memories. You know, our, our second date was at Hallamel. So all of these places are, you know, now it's romantic or nostalgic to think that we bring our young son back to these places. So, the, um, you know, these creative places and spaces in Jackson have brought us together originally and now definitely keep us together. So, Rachel, I know you have a background in museum studies. So tell, tell our listeners what you're doing now. And then I'm also curious kind of what led you to the pursuit of museum studies. I am very proud and humble to say that I serve as the director of the Museum of Mississippi History. So for the all who haven't been yet, um, it's the two new museums downtown, the History Museum and the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. Uh, we opened December 9th, 2017, so it's been a few months. Uh, but uh, no, it's fantastic. So that's, that's what I'm doing nine to five and on the weekend sometimes and after hours. Uh, and what led me there, you know, it's the dream job. What led me there is I always loved field trip days. 
I have memories of being a young kid and traveling to all these different cultural institutions uh, and, you know, walking through those aisles and times from, after, you know, when you weren't in school and that experiential education and a sense of wonder. Um, I always was into it and old things and stories. So that's what led me into to museum life. Yeah, so before you became the director of the Museum of Mississippi History, I know you had some other experiences here in Jackson uh, with the Institute of Southern Jewish Life. Just tell me a little bit about what you did there. Sure. So I was the, the director of the Museum of the Southern Jewish Experience. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, it used to be a site in Utica, Mississippi, bustling Utica, um, on the campsite of Henry S. Jacobs Camp. That museum then led to the organization called the Institute of Southern Jewish Life with many different departments that are serving um, really a 13-state region of Jewish communities all throughout the South. But mainly I was managing a collection and doing a lot of outreach education, talking about Southern Jewish history. Uh, and my favorite part was I was bringing people to Mississippi. So I was doing these like cultural heritage tours, bringing them on a bus, kind of doing New Orleans up through the Mississippi up to Memphis, um, stopping at all of these historic sites, talking about the people and the places of Mississippi, um, all through a, a Jewish lens. And so now I'm using that lens, you know, at the Museum of Mississippi History. You kind of see it through this minority perspective or a bit of the the cultural and ethnic perspective and, and how Mississippi's uh, people are much more rich and complex and diverse than I think a lot of people give us credit for. So that's my mission every day. Wow. Oh, that's that's inspiring. <laughs> it is. Um, so, Chris, you know, um, I know you studied architecture. So what what kind of drew you to that? And, and what was your experience with that? Um, well, growing up, uh, when I was a when I was a kid, my parents sent my sister and I to like some private art classes. Uh, there weren't there wasn't a, that great of an arts program at our school, which support the arts. Right. Um, <laughs> And I kind of developed an early talent for drawing. Um, didn't get to develop that much because it wasn't available at our school, but I did get drawn into music a good bit. So um, I guess my creative side was satisfied. And whether it's church choir or, or band or symphony or jazz band. Um, and when it came time to go to college, my thought was either music education or architecture. Uh, architecture because I was kind of good at math and had, you know, some creative leanings as well. So that's where I went and that's where I am. And, and, uh, you know, that's really where Rachel and my, uh, professional paths crossed in that the past three and a half years, uh, I've been the project manager for the new Mississippi museums for the history and the civil rights museum. So I was working on that before Rachel got her job. So it was, it was kind of a nice collision when, when she finally got off. Collaboration. That Collaboration. Collision. <laughs> Collaboration. Depending on the day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, you couldn't have seen that coming. That's so great that you were working on it for years and mm -hmm. then kind of turns out that she yeah. was able to, to kind of well, do that Well, I definitely had it on my mind. You know, we, all, <laughs> we all knew that these museums were coming about. You know, the legislature had granted this um, institution to be built. And, you know, as an excited museum person in Jackson, it was definitely on my mind. Uh, it was one of the decision reasons I decided to go to graduate school to get a, a degree in museum studies. I, you know, I always had an intention to be a part of the project. I don't think I quite saw myself, um, you know, serving as director, but uh, it it uh, has been a wonderful experience. 
You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is the Mississippi Arts Hour, and I'm your host, Melody Moody Thordis, with the Mississippi Arts Commission. My guests today are Chris and Rachel Myers. So, Chris, um, tell me a little bit more about what what it is about. And I know this is something you could talk about a lot, but I'm I'm curious. What is it about you know design and architecture that really gets you excited? That makes you passionate about that particular field? Um, I like to create an environment for people to live in and to work in, um, and. Um, when you when you can go back to a building that you've done, say the Mississippi Museums, and see people enjoying that space, people lining up to see that kind of space, and kind of the look of wonder on their face when they walk in the door, um, it that is what makes it rewarding. You know, when you say the look of wonder, it I can't help but go back to what Rachel was just saying about the experience that you you have with so many people at the museum or at other museums. This this wonderment, if you will, when people are experiencing that. We've talked a little bit about, um, you know, art in the public space. So I'd like to hear from from either one of you guys on on that topic. You know that where you see yourself in that and where you kind of see the arts in public space. Well, I'll just say, you know, to, to go off what Chris was saying, you know, Mississippians, when they walk through, like, they, they're in wonder because they're proud. I mean, the state has just built these huge, fantastic um, institutions that have elevated, you know, these Mississippi stories in a way that they have never been elevated before. Um, so just, just the size and the scale and, and excellence of the buildings, I think, you know, the because of the design and, of course, the exhibits uh, is something that we all sh- all should be proud of. Of course, those that had something to do with it. So, the, yeah, there is a sense of wonder of just being in a space. Uh, now, I get the privilege of watching people walk through these galleries and having like this neat shared experience and conversation. So, it's I was standing in front of one of these exhibits. Uh, it's called How We Live, and you're looking into someone's um, home, and it's a community. Uh, it's called Turkey Creek. So it's kind of the first um, formerly enslaved people, freed people in Mississippi on the Gulf Coast. They form a community. And there's this one family of folks from Gulfport chatting, and then this other group from Biloxi come over, and they had never heard of t- Turkey Creek, but they're from the same place, and they're driving all the way up to Jackson and standing in our galleries and like having a conversation now together uh, about something that would have never normally come up. So we are providing opportunities for that kind of um, dialogue. And I'll say, like, there's a lot of creativity involved in that, too. Uh, You know, every day we are being creative on how to tell these stories and how to make sure that we're enabling people to make personal connections, uh, because it's what defines us. It's what defines us as a state and as Mississippians is, is knowing, you know, who we are and where we came from. So that's how I see it. Yes, it sounds like people really, when they go to the museum, really get to, you know, they're bringing they're bringing their own experience, but then they're getting to learn all these other parts, and then they walk out with this more full context of an experience of Mississippi. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible. And it's all the artisans that were involved. It's, it's these, like, amazing recreations of historic places and spaces. It's the fantastic multimedia and the music and, and then the actual Mississippians that we're featuring. I mean, essentially, history is just the study of, like, the way people have solved problems over time. <laughs> so you get to see that ingenuity and creativity of, all right, like, what did we do when, it, when there was a flood? Or, like, what did we do to mechanize this, this crop? Or what did we do to... You you know, past the time, oh, we figured out a, a banjo, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Um, so we tried to make sure we feature all those things to inspire um, new creative people and and, and uh, the problems that they're solving today. 
So I'm curious, I know a lot of people know about the two museums, whether they have come to visit or not. And, you know, we talk about the, the Civil Rights Museum as well as the um, Mississippi History Museum. What's been your experience when people, um, you know, come to see both or maybe, you know, there's so much to be seen at, at either one. You almost need a day for, for each one. But I'm just curious, do do you find that people go to one before the other because they want a certain experience or what, what's the feedback you get on that? You know, the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum is is the brand new extraordinary thing. This is the first state-sponsored civil rights museum in the country. So we got a lot of very positive press when we opened. So a lot of people are coming um, for the Civil Rights Museum. And then, of course, they get there and they're like, oh, there's two museums. And the ticket is very reasonable. So we kind of we see them, yes, doing a dual admission and, and going through both. Uh we're very ambitious, imagining people taking, you know, hours out of their day uh, to see both. But we have been so impressed by, like, the dedication and then the response has been so positive. People find us a really valuable experience on um, a visit to Jackson. Great. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people living in Mississippi. Today I have two guests in the studio, married couple, Jacksonians, and creative Mississippians, Chris and Rachel Myers. Welcome back. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having us back. Well, before the break, we were talking about your experience, Rachel, at the uh, Museum of Mississippi History and people experiencing um, different things in public spaces. And, you know, so Chris, I want to I want to ask you again, you know, from your experience, not just in your community, but as an architect and kind of just the way you have been involved in the arts in Mississippi. I know you have a lot of experience um, in fest- putting on festivals and helping out in different community um, events. And at the Mississippi Arts Commission, one of the things uh, that we fund through our program areas is community festivals, primarily those using the arts to really build culture and, and, and tell Mississippi's story. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not necessarily an artist per se. I'm not a musician. I'm not a painter. Um, but it is important for, or a writer, uh, it's important to create spaces for those arts to exist in. Um, and over the past few years, I've used my, um, I guess my talents as a project manager, my talents as a, an event coordinator to, to help with certain events, uh, say the Crossroads Film Festival or Fondren First Thursdays in our Fondren neighborhood here in Jackson um, and events like that. Uh, and I feel like those are so important because otherwise there's nowhere to there's nowhere to, to really witness these arts. You, you, you don't go to a painter's studio to look at their work. You don't go you know sit in someone's garage and listen to them play music. So we need people you know, like, like Arden Barnett, who puts on shows, we need, we need spaces to go see these things. Um, well, tell me a little bit about your time, um, you know, with the Crossroads Film Festival or other festival, community festivals that you've been involved with. Um, so for, for a few years, um, I was the director of the Crossroads Film Festival. Um, I got into that because I really loved independent film. Um, I started volunteering uh, just, you know, as as kind of a hobby and something to do, and and I got pulled in pretty deep. Um, Nina Parikh is a good friend of mine. Uh, Because of that, um, I I just felt like it was a good space 
and it wasn't it wasn't just a film festival, but also a music festival as well, and brought together all the art forms in a weekend of you know kind of Jackson Pride that we got to put together and bring outside filmmakers in for. Well, I would I I just want to touch on the idea of of you saying you know you're not an artist at the Arts Commission. You may not be aware. Many people are not. We actually offer a fellowship for architectural design, so it's an area um, that that Mac really sees as, as an important aspect, you know, of the arts. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make you aware of that. That's very good to know. I was not aware. And to make everyone aware that, like, you, you have an eye for design and the arts that, like, a normal average person does not have. <laughs> you Whether it is a natural inherent part of you or you've been trained to do it. I mean, there's numerous times where lots of different people in our community are coming to him being like, psst, like, I have this idea and I think it should look like this. And then Chris will just, like, immediately doodle something or on the computer. And, like, you know, you are able to articulate that in a graphic way that most can't. That is your talent. Oh, thank you. So I think a great, you know, this leads me to a project that you were involved with that um, I think is a great example of that. Um, so tell, tell us about... Um, the impetus and and what happened with Look Up Fondren. Um, so this in the in the center of our Fondren neighborhood, there's this um, giant energy electrical substation, and when when that was put there, nobody probably knew that that was going to be a major center of commerce and and arts in the city. Um, but it's there, and it's not going anywhere, or everybody would lose their power. And so it's this beautiful, <laughs> it's this beautiful like steel structure um, that you see in the daytime, but at night it's a completely black part of the neighborhood. It's completely dark, and when you drive into uh, to the neighborhood on um, on Lakeland, you can't see anything there. And so I got with my friend Stephen Barnett, who's a lighting designer here in Jackson, and we put together a proposal to light the thing up for one night. Um, we picked. This was probably five years ago. We picked uh, we picked a night where we're having a Fondren After Five event, and he brought out 40 or 50 lights and put together a light show on that structure. Uh, and the point the point of that was to show people that it was there and to you know to to see the like place making capabilities of of such a thing. Uh, we we haven't quite gotten back around to making it permanent yet. Um, if anybody from Entergy is listening, you know, maybe <laughs> we can do that. But um, I hope it I hope it kind of sparks some ideas about what could be done. And you're part of the Our Fondren Neighborhood Association, is that right? So tell me a little bit more about any you know any other projects you you do as a part of that community. Um, I, I'm not necessarily uh, on the on the board of that anymore, but um, we I live and work in Fondren, and um, I consider it to be pr- pretty important to be um, invested in your community. And I think everybody has a little bit of a uh, responsibility to do what they can to make their neighborhood better. So uh, for a while, I was on the Neighborhood Association. I, um, I have in frequent contact with the Fondren Renaissance um, Foundation. Um, for what's going on in the neighborhood. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So um, I, one question I want to ask you about, because I, I find it fairly fascinating, and I know that you didn't start this, um, but I, I would say that you helped lead the Renaissance for the uh, the Jackson flag. So yes. can, you tell, can you tell our listeners <laughs> a little bearer. bit about... 
you know, your interest in flags and what you learned about the Jackson flag and then kind of what it has become if people have started to see it more often? I don't know where my interest came from. Um, I've always been slightly obsessed with flags. I think I Someone gave me a little pamphlet when I was a kid that had every nation's flag on it. I like graphic design. Um, and, and so I guess just the passion for flags in general came from that. Um, around, around like 2005, I was looking up Jackson, Mississippi on, on, on the Internet. And on the Wikipedia page, I saw this green flag. And I was, you know, I said, what is this thing? I've never seen it. I've never seen it flown anywhere. Nobody knew about it. Uh, but there it was. Wikipedia knew about it. And so in, in digging in a little more, I found out that that was the, the official flag of Jackson. It had been adopted back in 1992 uh, after a, which, which I think is a great like democratic design process. They put out feelers for thousands of submissions. Malcolm White was on the board. They picked all the, they picked five or six different submissions that were similar, took elements from those and then had a, a professional flag designer put a flag together. And that's where we have our flag. It's a, it's a green field with a white cross, a yellow circle, and filled with blue and a yellow star in the center. And what it's meant to symbolize is the um, position of Jackson as the state capital. And so once I learned about that, I wanted everybody to know about it because I wanted it to be, you know, a flag that people from Jackson can rally behind and 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 know about. And I wanted it to be everywhere. So um, I started um, designing T-shirts, selling T-shirts, just to get it out there. It is... Not a money-making uh, <laughs> proposition by any means, but uh, I just wanted people to see it around and to see it about. And I, I do believe that um, that a lot of people in Jackson know about it that wouldn't have before. Um, there are a few flying downtown, and there's more every day. I recently went to the International Ballet Competition and noticed that the Jackson flag was flying mm-hmm. um, center um, in front of the Aliamara. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a picture of the flag in my office, and people come by all the time and ask ask about it. You know, of course, Malcolm, when he saw it, said, "I was on that committee." You know, <laughs> helped design helped design that flag, and it's interesting to me how many people don't know about it and 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 see it, and and always ask me like, mm-hmm. "Where where is that from?" And can't believe that that it's the Jackson flag. Mm-hmm. It's it's nice that. Um, that it happens to be green since the St. Patrick's Day Parade mm-hmm. in Jackson is so large. Um, it seems like it really comes mm-hmm. together for that. I know you've had some involvement with the with the parade as well. and um, you know. Yeah, the flag certainly comes out on parade day. Um, and for anybody that wants to know more about the Jackson flag, you can go to jacksonflag.com to find out more. Um, but, um, and yeah, that's a good segue to the St. Patty's Day Parade in that, um, again, Malcolm White... Um, created this thing 35 years ago, and now it is one of the biggest events in Jackson uh, where, you know, 50 to 75,000 people come out, and you see a lot of those flags waving, and that's that's always nice to see. Um, that, and that, yes, that is an event that Rachel and I are very passionate about. We have a big tailgate every year for the parade. Um, I march in the parade. Um, for several years, we had a float, which I believe you wrote yes, on Yes, I wrote enough. on that float. Yes, yes, we wrote on that float yeah. together one year. Yeah. Those are the embarrassing stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to talk too much about that. But, um, yeah, that is, that's, that's one of the, the main events in Jackson. 
So, you know, as we as we talk about, you know, the arts and, and artists, Rachel, I know that you are um, a performer. You're a musician and a vocalist specifically. Um, tell me a little bit about your experience in Jackson uh, with different effort, musical efforts that you've put together. Thank you for saying performer. That's what I prefer <laughs> because it kind of it gets me away from like, oh, you're not on pitch. I'm performing. Yeah, it's different. Uh, no, I've always been, you know, into musical theater and, and singing and things like that. And and it, but it really wasn't until I moved to Jackson and, and met a, a group of young women who one happened to play the guitar and one happened to play the bass and the drums. And we formed um, a little group called the Bachelorettes. Uh, so that was kind of like our '60s girl group who wrote uh, contemporary lyrics and in that in that tradition. So we palled around town, we went on tour, recorded an album, uh, and really became a part of that, this, you know, was 2008-2009 music scene, which um, was was our place, was our space. Uh, those were our friends. We played all over town. Um, it was so nice to perform. The funny thing, looking back on it now, I'm a few years older, uh, is that we, we wore wigs when we performed. <laughs> and uh-huh. so now, uh, most people will not uh, recognize me, or like, will all of a sudden be like, oh, Oh, that was you, uh, which was uh, really good forethought for me as my professional career advanced. <laughs> I didn't quite knew, uh, being in, in disguise. But uh, no, I, I perform all the time. I also love to dance in public. So if there's, you know, ever, you know, the early shift of a band, you know, someone's just getting started and, and needs to warm the dance floor, um, I'm usually your gal. <laughs> well, I know as, as a musician myself, being in bands, you know, you particularly being in an old time uh, bluegrass genre you know you are it is a dancing music you know mm-hmm. and so when you are performing you're almost looking into the audience hoping someone you know will will catch the dancing spirit and so we could of course always count on you to <laughs> help you know help help bring that to light um and one of the one of the greatest memories I have of that time with the Bachelorettes um, is the work that you guys did to and, and Chris as well to put together different Jackson compilation mm-hmm. albums. Um, I don't know if either of you want to touch on that. It, to me, it was such a great way to bring the community together. Yeah, and I think that that was just it. It was a very DIY time, you know. So everyone was thinking, okay, we're ju- we're just going to put together an album, of course. And so we did a few series. I think the first one we did was called Special Passenger. And we just put out a call and said, hey, any of our local um, friends want to write a song about having that special person, that special passenger with you? And, and we did an album like that. Um, we did a few kind of holiday, wintry um, albums. Uh, that's where, you know, we wrote our Hanukkah hit, Be My Maccabee, which I think we're we're going to play in a minute, uh, which I'm very proud of. And uh, yes, it was. It was just about kind of everyone using all of pooling all of our resources and then really sitting around in one to one studios like with our sewing machines. We'd like hand sewed uh, all of the album covers and like slipped a little CDs in that we had all just burned and, uh, you know, used buttons and, and ribbon and, and sent them out on their way. Uh, it was a very hands on special way for us all to come together for something 
uh, that we thought was was just genuinely sincere and fun. It was a great way to learn about different local musicians and get different genres and different people, particularly bands who were just kind of starting or trying to get their names out there, to be able to submit one song to a CD and then to release that and people to be able to hear Jackson Music. It's one of my, one of my favorite memories um, of putting together these compilation CDs. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Radio. Each week on the Arts Hour, representatives from the Mississippi Arts Commission speak with different creative people living in Mississippi. Today I have two guests in the studio, married couple Chris and Rachel Myers. Welcome back. Thanks for welcoming me back, Mel. Of course. Um, so we just heard um, the uh, an excerpt from The Bachelorettes, the band we were we were speaking about before the break. That so glad we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> you were in, so you guys heard the, the vocal performance um, of Rachel Meyer. So tell me, you know, I know you worked for many years as a Jewish professional. Uh, tell me about your experience uh, in that. Well, you know, it's part of being uh, a, a minority in the South, and so it, it's a huge part of my identity. Uh, I, I did do it professionally for many years, so I would go to schools or presentations or, or talking to people just about Jewish life and culture, but um, it definitely seeped into, you know, my identity, not professionally, personally. So, you know, Chris is a, is a great team player in it. And so we just started to share a lot of it with our friends, with the community. Uh, so whether that was we host a, a really large Passover Seder. So for those of you not familiar, it's uh, this fantastic holiday meal where it's essentially a dinner party where um, you invite people to your home and you, and you tell the story of Exodus and you, and you talk about the importance of freedom. Um, a, a neat thing I did once at Tougaloo College is, you know, we did a something called a freedom Seder. So all of a sudden you start to make the comparisons between the African-American experience and this kind of Jewish experience from um, many years ago in Egypt. So always kind of drawing those connections, trying to um, show people how, how we are more similar than we are different, I'd say, is, is a part of you know what we're doing at the museum, of course, but I think what we're trying to do personally here um, in the community. And I think the compilation was part of that, too, just trying to uh, help people to make, you know, to make some more connections between Mississippians and people that are living here today. So I really enjoy talking about it. You can ask me all sorts of questions. <laughs> Great. Well, I know that, um, you know, you guys are parents of a two-year-old. He's three now. He's three. Okay. Great. Well, happy birthday, Eli. Um, so, so as you have kind of transitioned, you know, we talked about some of the things you guys have been involved with in the past. And, and tell me about some of your favorite kind of activities um, in the public spaces, particularly with the arts, that you see now kind of through the lens of a parent. Well, we were laughing about this. I'll just I'll I'll, I'll give you the guys the context. You know, we uh, you are talking about all the things that we are very active in the community from a few years ago. Of course, we're still active, but um, parenthood has made us active in a new way. Um, now we are looking for places and spaces um, for our family to all enjoy together. Uh, it means that we have you know some earlier events and some earlier bedtimes, so we're not out and about as late as we usually are. But we are pleased and delighted that there is kind of that. Next Next group, that next generation of young people that are are filling in those gaps and uh, expanding them much much more than Chris and I could have ever imagined in in 2008. Uh, but Chris, if you want to share some of what we're up to with our family, um, so yeah, I mean, we in in having a toddler, you realize the importance of having spaces to be, um, and so you know, one of the some of the 
some of the events that we went to before as as non-parents uh, suddenly become a whole lot different when you have to take a three-year-old there. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we love to go to the Mississippi Museum of Art to their third Thursday programs. We are some of the first people there usually, uh, and, and you know, we get to participate at a very early level there, um, and they're very welcoming to kids, and they don't mind him kind of running around a little bit and and um, and, and being curious. Um, we love um, a big event we have in our neighborhood at Fondren After Five. Um, there's always a bounce house there, and that's very important for a three-year-old. But there's also musicians, um, artists. And, I mean, to me, it's really important to, to, to bring him up in a place um, where there are things happening and to have him active and to know that there are people out there doing things and be exposed with, pe- with people who have different ideas than he does. So, um, yeah, the Mississippi Children's Museum... I mean, Rachel's Museum, History Museum, it's, it's great to have these big spaces where, where, where kids can, can see outside of their own immediate surroundings. But can I tell a cute anecdote? Sure. <laughs> because, or just to know that they're accessible to him, right? So I think before we were parents, we never looked at children before. But now, you know, we're, we're out at, uh, in, in Fondrain in our neighborhood, and there's a man on a trailer with a guitar, and he's playing music. Awesome. <laughs> fantastic. Everyone is drawn to him. And Eli kind of looks up at me, and he's like, wheels on the bus? And I was like, I don't know, dude. Like, you might want to go ask him, like, for a request. And so he just kind of, like, toddles up to the van and, like, shouts wheels at the bus to him. And, of course, he, like looks down and like gives him this big goofy smile and then like plays my toddler's favorite song. So like <laughs> he might not have that memory, but I always will have that memory. And to know that like there's a there's a generosity even in spirit with creatives, whether it's a musician or an artist that are always ready to like get down on the ground and engage with any sort of person at any age uh, that I now try to replicate all the time when when I'm around people. It is it is a really important part well, of our society. You left out the part where he like reached over to his best friend, put his arm around him, like it was the most the coolest thing that ever happened. To <laughs> that the musician was playing "Wheels on the Buzz," <laughs> the the song he requested, yeah. and, and they, right. they if he had had, had a lighter, a he would have pulled it out and waved it. I think. It, it was very very special. Yeah. Uh, and of course, as I mentioned, I enjoy dancing in public. And when I first got pregnant, I was terrified that my child would be cuter than I was. Like he would be a better dancer and more people would look at him. Uh, but again, we're, we're out. We're at a festival. There's, there's a, a DJ playing a song and he, of course, like runs out and, and busts all the move and it moves and it's very sweet. So it's, again, like continuing this tradition for this new generation. And uh, I, I think it's now what I'm doing professionally at the museum. All right, we've been open about six months. We've had over 100,000 people streaming through these museums. All right. Like it's it's not the average thing to want to do, like go spend your afternoon, you know, learning about the legacy of Mississippi history. But we've had the majority of the people are school kids and that's the audience and that's the next generation. Um, So being able to to capture their imaginations, help them make a personal connection, know that this is their history and that they are making history, that we will be talking about them in 50 years, uh, is is really what we're doing every day. And and especially for our our youngest people, right now we have lots of the preschools and daycares streaming through the museums. Uh, So it's it's a four-year-old kid coming through, and we're creating the next generation of um, museum goers, that they know that like this is a cultural asset in their community that they have access to. And, and I'd, I'd say in addition to that, it's also a, a pride thing in that 
those kids are uh, never going to know in Mississippi that they didn't have that building in. Mm -hmm. And to know that their state will will put forth the effort, uh, will put forth the money to build a facility like that, um, it, it's a it's a different kind of Mississippi than they would have experienced maybe 20 or 30 years ago. And for those of you who aren't in the metro area, <laughs> you know, people are coming on buses. We had like the majority of the, fourth, of the fourth grade students from Ocean Springs coming up to the museums. We had these huge five busloads of kids down from DeSoto County. So uh, it is it is an access and, and a treat for all Mississippians. Come on down. For those just joining us, I'm Melody Moody-Thordis with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and today on the Arts Hour, I'm talking with husband and wife Chris Myers, principal and architect with Cook Douglas Bar Lemons, and Rachel Myers, director of the Museum of Mississippi History. So we talked a little bit about um, your son and your experience as parents, um, and particularly he, him experiencing the arts and, and community in different ways. So I'm curious, um, you know, what are some of the earliest experiences that you feel like first drew you to the arts? Not necessarily your first experience, but something that kind of stuck with you that, you know, obviously this passion has continued. Do you want me to go first? Mm -hmm. I, do you want me to tell you yours? Sure. That would be great. <laughs> uh, and it's only because I was, have just been witnessing it recently. And, and I apologize if we're gushing a little bit. This is what happens when you get a family on, on a radio show. But uh, Chris's mother had a, a collection of Chris's old Legos. Right. And so we've had it in our house for years. And so finally he's old enough and we open up the box and we dump it out on the floor. And then I just get the opportunity to watch my young son and the man I've loved for many years just dive into it and build these beautiful structures in a way that like my left brain couldn't ever put together. So I'm going to say yours was Legos. Oh, that's probably true. <laughs> but also, just to plug public broadcasting, oh, I would good. say also my exposure was through uh, PBS and, and seeing art shows through uh, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Uh, we lived in the country. We only had three or four channels, and so we didn't have a lot of opportunity to see things. So um, just through that lens, I was able to see, <laughs> I promise they didn't, nobody asked me to do this, um, <laughs> just seeing the ballet and the opera and, you know, symphony performances, um, that had a big influence. And I grew up on show tunes. It's mm. the kind of family I grew up in, and... You know, being about an hour outside of uh, New York City, we would get to go in and, and see a lot of shows. So uh, it was always performing and singing and dancing, whether it was uh, in my living room or, or on stage. That that was always the access point for me. But I'll also say, like, I got dragged to a lot of museums and a lot of historic houses and a lot of cultural centers. And I think at the time I might not have appreciated it, but I can certainly draw the line between um, traveling throughout museums across the world and the type of appreciation that I have for them now. You know, we've also been talking a little bit about, you just mentioned, um, you know, historical places and, and, and history. Of course, we've talked about that with the with the museum. Um, Chris, I know you have been involved in with the Mississippi Heritage Trust. Mm -hmm. for, for our listeners, can you tell, tell me a little bit more about what that organization does? Yeah, so the Mississippi Heritage Trust is... Um, basically Mississippi's Historical Society, um, and the Heritage Trust is dedicated to preserving historical places uh, within the state, whether that's a building. A lot of times it's a building. Sometimes it's a site, um, you know, Indian mounds, all that kind of thing, is, is to 
there the the main tagline is this place matters and if if there's if there's something historical about about a space it should be saved um and it should be um it should be seen by future generations um and so did you have something you wanted to add? <laughs> I did but I'll let you finish I'm so oh, sorry go ahead, go ahead. Well, I'll just say, you know, these museums are our new construction and we're telling stories, but I'm always so careful to remind people that we have historic sites and cultural assets all across the state. And so we have these panels in the museum that really tried to, like, bring people out to those places. So, like, go down to Natchez, like, go see Longwood, like, go up to Indianola, go see the BB King Museum, like, go see where this history happened. And so um, I always think it's such a great importance, you know, just to, like, walk down a, a uh, squeaky staircase and to realize that people have been walking down that staircase for over a hundred years. Uh, there's something that really grounds you in, you know, your ancestors and who came before you in a way that you can't really do like riding in a brand new elevator. Yeah. And I'd, I'd say the most recent and like extreme uh, case of that would be after Hurricane Katrina and the uh, Department of Archives and History and Heritage Trust um, worked diligently to keep people from just tearing buildings down because it would have been so easy to just bulldoze or bulldoze over houses. But I know uh, Ken Papoula at Archives and History was down there for several years and he was fighting for these houses to be maintained in these buildings. And for, for that reason, we have we still have things like the Charlie Norwood House in Ocean Springs or the White House Hotel in Biloxi. They're still there because people like the Heritage Trust and Archives and History fought for them. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a project um, that we're working on at the Mississippi Arts Commission, the Mississippi Writers Trail. And, you know, it it really speaks to that, just like the Country Music Trail and the Freedom Trail, you know, to really mark these places in history that people may not know when they pass by, that this is actually a significant part of Mississippi, its story and the culture. So we're really trying to find ways to highlight artists, um, whether, you know, they have passed or 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 are literary artists who are still working today, you know, and mark those as we go along. So as we as we start to wrap up, I'm, um, I want to ask, you know, is there any Anything coming up at the museum that that you want to share that's particularly uh, exciting to you or that you want to make sure people know about? I'm going to be on brand. Ready? So on August, ooh, I hope I get it right, August 8th, the first Sunday of August, uh, we'll have some family programming in the afternoon, um, and it's called Mississippi's Creatives. And we will be focusing on, again, the artists and the storytellers and the painters and the potters. Uh, we'll be doing some hands-on activities. We'll have a blues musician playing. We'll be making some quilts, all sorts of fun stuff um, for families and adults alike uh, to to learn more about Mississippi's creatives. So in addition to visiting the museums, where can people find more information about the Museum of Mississippi History? On the internet. Um, So you can follow us on Facebook. (laughs) That's my favorite place because we're we're posting so much there. Uh, Museum of Mississippi History, you can follow us there. Right. Well, thanks for listening to the Mississippi Arts Hour. And a special thanks to my guests, Chris and Rachel Myers. If you missed part of this interview or want to listen again, go to mpbonline.org backslash Mississippi Arts Hour and tune in each week for the Mississippi Arts Hour, a co-production of MPB Radio and the Mississippi Arts Commission.